0: good morning i'd like to thank pastor ben first for giving me the opportunity to preach at this which is a major church holiday this sunday is of course the the holidays are done and the pastor is tired sunday it is also epiphany or at least we're going to be celebrating epiphany today epiphany was technically yesterday and this would be the first sunday of epiphany but Pastor Ben was very insistent that he didn't want you to lose out on this major church holiday of Epiphany. And I say major church holiday, I was surprised to learn that the church has celebrated Epiphany longer than it has celebrated Christmas, by more than a hundred years. And so the fact that Epiphany and Christmas are so close together is a little bit coincidental. We don't know that the Wise men showed up 12 days later than uh, the Christmas story that they you know, just got the time wrong or whatever. We don't know exactly when they showed up. We do know that the, the date for Epiphany was set sometime in the second century, and then after that, the date not for Christmas was set, but the next major date that was set was the date of Jesus' conception. And it was because the church believed that Jesus died on March 25th, which was at that point the vernal equinox. Calendars have shifted a bit. And there was a belief among Jewish, Jewish scholars and early Christian fathers, for some reason that I cannot find any evidence that it's true, that prophets died on the day they were conceived. And so that set, the Annunciation of Mary being March 25th, which is still, that is still when the church celebrates the Annunciation of Mary, Gabriel coming, the angel Gabriel coming to Mary and saying, you're, you're gonna be pregnant. And if you add nine months to that, you get December 25th, which is how the date for Christmas was set. Coincidentally, a minor Roman holiday, the Feast of the Unconquered Sun, S-U-N. And therefore, the Christians adopted that day for Christmas as the Feast of the Unconquered Son, S-O-N. And so coincidentally, Epiphany is 12 days later. But this is not Christmas part two, even though our hymns would give you belief that that is the case. It is a separate holiday that happens to still deal with the Christ child, which is the confusion here. We don't know exactly when it happened, but it happened sometime within two years, we think, and we'll get into that why later, after the birth of Jesus. Could have been 12 days later, could have been two years later, somewhere in that range. Uh, We know that you'll notice when the wise men come to Bethlehem, they don't come to a manger in a stable, they come to a house. Um, So there's been time has moved on a bit. And this holiday, if I said to you that someone had an epiphany, how would you look if you had an epiphany? Anyone wanna tell me what you would look like if you had an epiphany? Surprised, Surprised okay, how about this? Slap the forehead, oh my gosh, right? That's an epiphany moment. An epiphany moment is a sudden, unexpected realization. And in Christian parlance, it's a sudden unexpected realization of the plan and purpose of God. And that is, that is epiphany and how we'll be dealing with it today. But this church holiday had a different name or has a different name in the Eastern Church where they call it theophany. So I would also like to wish you a happy theophany today, and that is the manifestation of God. And the two sets of verses that are associated with this holiday are the ones we read today, but also the baptism of Jesus, where Jesus comes out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove, and the voice says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. A definite theophany moment, a manifestation of God. And so we get manifestations of God in babies and in baptism. Now, we're reading this year in the Gospel of Luke. Most of this year is going to be spent in the Gospel of Luke because it is that liturgical year. And Luke has a theme, which is Jesus is for everyone. And if this verse were in Luke, we would go, sure, okay, well, that makes sense. People coming from the East because Jesus is for everyone. But this verse is not in Luke. It is found in Matthew. It's only found in Matthew. And Matthew has a different theme. Luke was writing to Greeks, Matthew was writing to Jews, and his story is, I told you this was coming. This was prophesied. And therefore we get the verses from Isaiah, people coming from afar, camels, and bringing their gifts of gold and frankincense. By the way, if we were in the Gospel of uh, John, his whole thing would be why, you know, we know the story, why did it happen? And in Mark, it would be about the power of God. That is another time. That's another sermon. So we've got this moment of epiphany, this moment of theophany. They are not the only time we would find in the Bible epiphany moments. One of the ones that occurred to me is the prodigal son who slaps his head and says, I would be better off at home and changes his direction and heads home to eventual reconciliation. Theophany moments, moments of manifestations of God, we'd also get Moses and the burning bush who makes a very sudden and deliberate career change reluctantly from shepherd to prophet. And one of the things we learn from these moments when we get that peek behind the curtain at the plan of God is that they lead to change. So I want to look at this verses today, especially the verses here in Matthew, and I want to look at it through three different lenses, the lenses of the wise men, of Herod, and of Joseph, and we'll do it in that order. So you're a wise man, you're somewhere in the east, fairly vague, we don't know where they came from, they are not kings, uh, as we sing about in our songs, they are told to us by Matthew as wise men. They were probably people who study the skies. They would be a mixture of, at that time, astrologers, astronomers. It was kind of one and the same thing. Probably, we don't know, their daily job would be making a star chart for someone or a horoscope or making predictions if this was a good day to start a project. That's the kind of thing that someone with that title would likely do. And we don't know what they saw, but they looked up one day and saw something extraordinary. We call it the Star of Bethlehem. We don't know what it was. Was it a star? Don't know. We know that it was extraordinary because they got on their camels and they said, we have to go see what's going on. And they brought gifts fit for the birth of a king. And they traveled as much as two years to get there. What an extraordinary thing they saw. What an epiphany kind of moment that led them to say, we have to take part. We have to be there. And so they travel not to Bethlehem, but to Jerusalem. And they stop and they ask for directions. Just proving that men can actually ask for directions if they are wise men. (laughs) We don't know how many there are. It does not say three. The reason we say three is they bring three gifts. And that's where we get three wise men from. But they stop and they ask directions and they say, well, who would know about the birth of a king? Well, certainly the king in the country. And so they stop and ask Herod the Great for directions, where would we find this young king that was just born? Herod is afraid, but we'll get into that later. He asks the Jewish rulers and say, where would they find this king that was born? And everybody agrees it would be in Bethlehem. So they head off to Bethlehem. They find the house. They bring their three gifts of gold, and frankincense and myrrh. And most biblical scholars that I have read read a lot into those gifts. That one, they've already said they're coming for a king and gold is a gift fit for a king. But frankincense is incense. And so frankincense is an odd gift for a king, it's really the gift for a priest. And so we see in their gifts, king and priest. King who is Lord of all, and priest who will intercede on our behalf for God. And then we get the third gift, which is myrrh. And we are told that myrrh is often used for embalming. And so a lot of biblical scholars see foreshadowing of the death of Jesus in that third gift. Although, I did learn this week that you can mix it and make a salve, and it also works very well for diaper rash. So... We we may not be giving the three kings as much credit as they were due in terms of bringing good gifts. And then they don't go back to Herod as they have promised to do because they get a dream and they head off in a different direction. They head home and disappear again from history back to whatever mysterious place they came from. The second lens we want to look through is that of Herod the Great. Herod the Great is the Herod in particular who is king at the time. And Herod is not named Herod the Great because of his wonderful disposition. Herod is a very, very interesting historical character because Herod was not born a king. When Herod was born, For the last hundred years, the kings in Israel, the kings in Judah, had been the Hasmoneans. And the Hasmoneans are the descendants of the Maccabees from our story of Hanukkah. They've been kings for a hundred years. And at one time, there breaks out a civil war where one brother and another brother are going at each other if an armed conflict because one both want to be king, and only one can be. And Herod boards a ship and heads to Rome to try and get Roman help because the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of Judah, is at this point a Roman protectorate. This is, this is not an independent kingdom. It was conquered by Pompey the Great in, uh, just before the birth of Jesus, not that long before Pompey was a contemporary with Julius Caesar. Now, Herod's family has connections with Julius Caesar. Herod has connections with Mark Antony. And so Herod is connected to Rome. And so he goes to go get help. And history says, to his surprise, the Roman Senate says, no, you're now king of Israel and Judah. And they make him king. And so he comes back and with Roman power, becomes king in this country, which is a little odd because he is probably not Jewish. History records him as being Edomian or a descendant of Esau rather than a descendant of Jacob. And Herod really, really likes being king. And we say that because Herod is willing to go to great lengths to stay being king At the time of our story, Herod has probably already killed three of his sons for trying to take the throne, one of his wives, a mother-in-law, and as I recall, also a brother-in-law. So Herod has done some nice things, like he has rebuilt the the temple, he's built the fortress of Masada, and some other projects, but Herod, having not been born a king, plans to die a king, and he plans to die a king right here, no matter what. And Herod was likely having a pretty good day when three people show up (laughs) by surprise and say, we're here looking for the king that was born. Why are the people and Herod afraid? They have been through relatively recently a civil war and they know that it is not good to have two different people claiming to be king. And so Herod says go find out where he is and bring me back his address because I would love to go worship him also. Herod is lying. Herod does not intend that. And we know that Herod doesn't intend that because when they don't come back and he realizes that they have failed on their part of the promise, he, remember, asked them very carefully, when did you start your journey? He inquired of them how long they'd been on the road to come and worship this king. And apparently they'd said two years because Herod isn't sure, was the king born two years ago and they you know, got the, the notice and then just arrived or did they get the notice two years before the king was born and the king was just born now? He's not sure, so to be safe, he orders that all male children in Bethlehem under the age of two be killed. Because Herod plans to be king when he dies and nobody else, nobody else is gonna take his place. To be fair, if we look at the long scope of history, there are more Herods than there are George Washingtons. There are more people who cling to power than those who voluntarily give it up. But Herod has an epiphany moment, too, and his epiphany moment is very uncomfortable. He gets a view into the plan and purpose of God and finds out he is not it. He's not part of it. And it is very, very scary. And then we come to Joseph. And let's assume, just for sake of argument here, that the... Wise men were given a two-year head start and that the baby has just been born and that's why they're still in Bethlehem. We don't know for sure, but let's just assume that. If that's the case, Joseph is having an interesting year. Joseph was a carpenter, we believe, was the proprietor of Joseph carpentry and fine furniture um, up there near Galilee. And he was planning on doing a lot of projects this year. He, he had the, the project for the Berkowitzes with, the, you know, with the, the end tables and the coffee table. Um, he was working on that when suddenly he finds out that his fiance is pregnant. And he knows the child is not his. And just when he's ready to set her aside, he gets a visit from Angel and says, yes, it's not yours, it's mine. It's God's. And so, okay, we've got a change of plans. It's gonna be Joseph and son, furniture, you know, fine furniture and carpentry. And just when he's gotten used to that idea and Mary is fairly well along, he gets a rather untimely invitation by the government of Rome to go to Bethlehem because the government of Rome wants to tax everybody efficiently and to do so they need to count people and to count people, we we need you to stop moving around, we need you to go home to wherever you're from, and he happens to be from Bethlehem, that is where his family is from. And so at a very, very, very inopportune time, they head to Bethlehem, where a baby is born, angels and shepherds come and tell fantastical stories, and just when it seems like things are getting back to normal, just when the, you know, the trees out by the curb and the things are packed up, And you think you're ready to go home and start working on the end tables. Three more, let's say three. We know it's plural. Uh, Wise men from some place you've never heard of in the East show up and they say, we've come to worship the king. Your son or her son, his son, somebody's son. We've come to worship the king and we've brought these wonderful gifts. And then they head off before they head off one of them says to joseph oh just by the way when we came we came through jerusalem when we happened to mention to herod that that the king was born and that we were coming here i hope that's not a problem by the way we got to go <laughs> so joseph is probably not surprised that he gets a dream where an angel says you've got to get out of town now you're going to take this child and his mother You're going to use maybe some of that gold that was just brought to you, and you're going to Egypt until Herod the Great dies. So again, a little picture, a little glimpse into the plan and purpose of God. And what do you do when you get a little picture into the plan and purpose of God? Quite often it leads to change. It leads to getting on your camels and heading into a country you've never been to to worship a king who won't even be your king. It leads to getting on a camel and heading to Egypt to flee. Because the plans that you had for this year have just changed. But those epiphany moments can be like that. Those little glimpses into the plan and purpose of God can bring us to moments of change. And so as we go forward into 2024, You have, I'm sure, wonderful plans for this year. Uh, You have major New Year's resolutions. Some of you have broken your New Year's resolutions already, but I I feel the first week should not count. (laughs) But as you go into 2024, I hope we can all leave room for epiphany, leave room for theophany, leave room for those moments where God breaks into our everyday and gives us a glimpse of the plan and purpose of God and be open to the change in direction that may come from that. Moses changed his profession, Joseph certainly his location, and the prodigal son his direction. And so may we go into this year, be ready for the unexpected. Amen.